This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. It's been a question for humans for a long time, but only recently have we started to crack the maths and, and the chemistry behind it. Matt, is this so- only because bees haven't been able to write scientific papers? <laughs> I maintain the honeycomb conjecture is the record, the, the earth record for longest time between discovery and proof. Yeah. Of a mathematical result. Because bees cracked it, what, millions of years ago? How yeah. old are bees? I don't know. That's biology. <laughs> You're listening to the Science Focus podcast from the BBC Science Focus magazine team. With the UK's best-selling Science and Technology Monthly, available in print and in several digital formats throughout the world. Find out more at sciencefocus.com or look out for us in your app store. Hello. I'm Sarah Rigby, online assistant at BBC Science Focus magazine. Today's podcast episode is a special one, with not one, not two, but three fantastic guests. We've teamed up with the three spoken nerds, Matt Parker, Steve Mould and Helen Arney, to bring you an episode of Unnecessary Details all about ice. I'll let them introduce themselves as they talk to editorial assistant Amy Barrett. So I'm here this morning with Matt Parker. Hello. (laughs) Uh, Steve Moult. (laughs) Hi. And Helen Arney. Hello. They are the three spoken nerds. um, And they've recently launched a new podcast. Um, Matt, can you tell me about the podcast of Unnecessary Detail? I mean, it's all there in the title, to be entirely (laughs) honest. I mean, all of us, we have a background both in something sufficiently sciencey, the other two are physicists. I tend to, um, you know, be far more mathematical. But we also have a background in comedy, like stand-up comedy and performing. And I think what we realize is both of those, what they have in common is an obsession with detail and, and getting down to the finer nuances or just paying attention to the the small, you know, the, the very close-up resolution that a lot of people ignore. And that's what we want to delight in in the podcast, because too often you get told that the details are boring, they don't matter, you want kind of a broad brush approach to something. We're like, no, sometimes things only get really interesting if you get very close and you get almost lost in the, in the tiny details. And so we figured if we just call it a podcast of unnecessary detail, it's all there in the title. And people can't complain that there was too much detail <laughs> because I mean that, that's what they've signed on for. So by setting the bar at unnecessary with kind of, it's insurance against uh, heckling, I guess, is, is the short way to put it. So we all will pick a word or a topic or something that we're interested or obsessed by, and we'll take turns looking at something in, in an undue level of detail. Hmm. And so your podcast episodes, you've, you've done words like rings, table, stick, and, and fuel. Um, and I'm really excited to be doing a word with you today. Um, but Steve, what would the three of you be doing right now if it weren't for the pandemic? Oh, we'd be doing live shows. Yeah, so, we, so we're all stand-up comedians. That's how we met, actually. We met on the stand-up comedy circuit <laughs> and the Edinburgh Fringe Festival and all that sort of stuff. And we were lamenting, you know, because we've got these science backgrounds, sort of complaining about 
you know, you can't do this sciencey material at Junglers or wherever, you know, or the, or the comedy <laughs> store. Wow, that, and, that is a dated reference hey. now. Yeah, it is now, wow. isn't it? You um, know, when we were last active yeah, on the exactly. comedy circuit. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, that's that's the kind of names we were banding about back then. But so we decided to start our own uh, comedy night. It was all about science. And, you know, that way your audience comes to you. And we were very surprised to find that there was an audience <laughs> for it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So yeah, we ended up doing tour shows around the country and all this sort of stuff. But our main thing, our main thing now is these regular new material nights that we do every month, or we used to back in the before times. And and you know, and that was just a, a lovely way to explore these ideas. And we can go into a bit more detail on the podcast. So when we confirmed this uh, podcast collaboration, um, the science focus team took to Twitter because that's always a great idea, uh, to find suggestions for a word for us to go into unnecessary detail today. Um, we had suggestions of uh, bulls, uh, vaccine, entropy, and even unnecessary itself. Um, but Helen, what word have we chosen to discuss? Well, we've got a name. I, to be honest, I was surprised that no one came out with topicy McTopic face. Uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> So that's what happens when you ask the internet. Wordy McLexicon, yeah. <laughs> but uh, we uh, we went through all the words and uh, we picked a word that um, has got something that each of us have been obsessed about at, at some point recently. And that word is ice. I'm not sure I could say I've had an obsession with ice. Um, but Steve, what does that mean to you? Yeah, it's funny that you're the odd one out uh, in this scenario, isn't it? Um, this is uh, this is a bit of unnecessary detail for when you've got an awkward silence around the coffee machine when you eventually get back to the office. Um, it's about freeze drying. Uh, this it's an amazing process. You've probably heard of freeze dried coffee. You also get freeze dried fruit as well. Like if you buy a fancy cereal, the fruit in there, maybe you've got a freeze dried raspberry or something like that. And it's completely counterintuitive to the way you normally dry things. Like. Like how do you dry clothes, for example? What's your process for drying clothes? Hanging it out in warm Hanging weather. Hanging it out, yeah. Put it in the uh, tumble dryer. Basically, expose it to heat, mm -hmm. right? And then the water evaporates, you end up with dry clothes. But with freeze drying, it's completely the opposite. You take a raspberry, for example, you put it in a box, you seal the box, and you lower the temperature to minus 40 degrees centigrade, which in Fahrenheit, by the way, interesting fact, is uh, minus 40 degrees. It's the only temperature that is the same in Fahrenheit and centigrade. Um, extra bonus, interesting detail for you there. Um, but yeah, can so you, you could. Uh, yeah. Can I say, when you say, how would you normally dry clothes? My method is to forget about it in the washing machine. <laughs> yeah, perfect. And overnight, it will eventually dry itself out, which what you're describing is putting stuff in a box and forgetting about it is pretty much my approach to drying clothes. So, Oh, well done. You're kind of freeze drying your clothes. It's the closest clothes. to freeze drying, yeah. <laughs> um, so anyway, yeah, you, so you, uh, you freeze the fruit. So you've got ice in there now It's because a, a raspberry is mostly water. Now it's mostly ice. And then crucially, you suck all the air out of the box. So you lower the pressure. And Ice does this weird thing at very low pressures. If you bring the temperature back up again to room temperature, instead of melting, it turns directly into a gas. So it skips the liquid phase completely. The solid ice turns directly into a gas. It's called sublimation instead of melting or boiling or any of that sort of stuff. Sublimation is the word. And what that does is 
it, it leaves holes behind where the ice was. So the structure of the raspberry or the strawberry or whatever it is remains. And you'll know this, like if you, if you pick a bit of the fruit out of your fancy cereal, you can bounce it up and down in your hand. It's really light and fluffy because it's full of tiny pockets of air. That's actually really useful for instant coffee. So freeze-dried coffee, it's really porous. So it's really instant. When you add the hot water, it just gets into all those pores and it dissolves really, really quickly. There's actually two types of instant coffee. There's the, there's the horrible kind and the really horrible kind. The, <laughs> the, 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 I can't the tell the difference, I'll be honest. <laughs> well, this is the thing, it doesn't matter. Like for me, it's like it, drinking coffee in the morning, not that I do it anymore, but it's like, it's just what's the quickest way to get caffeine molecules attached to the adenosine receptors in my brain. And frankly, <laughs> I'm still asleep, so I can't even taste it. But um, yeah, so the, the, the horrible kind is the freeze-dried stuff. Um, the really horrible kind is the spray-dried stuff. And the, when you spray-dry coffee, that's like the traditional way of drying something. You do it with heat. So you get this um, coffee, you spray it into a hot box, and all the water evaporates. The problem with doing it that way is with all that heat there, some of those aromatic molecules will escape the coffee as well. It's those aromatic molecules that give coffee its flavor. So when you spray dry coffee, you're removing a lot of the flavor. Whereas when you freeze dry coffee, you're only removing the water. Those flavor molecules remain in the coffee. And you can tell if you, if you go into a shop, the expensive coffee, if you look at the, the actual granules, they're these light brown chips. Whereas the spray dry stuff are these horrible dark clumps of powder, and they're also much cheaper. That's how you can tell the difference. Mm. So it's a, it's an amazing innovation in terms of uh, in terms of coffee. It actually wasn't invented by coffee makers. It was invented like a lot of things uh, in a military context. In World War II, it was used as a way to preserve blood serum. Though actually, that's a reinvention. It was used even by the Incas in like the the fifteenth century. They would they would hike their crops up a mountain. So the pressure is lower up there, it's colder up there, and their crops would freeze dry. So the, that, the method's actually been around for ages. In, in fact, the, you can freeze dry stuff even in your freezer, it's just it happens much more slowly. Like it, it happens quickly at higher temperatures, um, but s slowly at low temperatures. So in your freezer, um, that's actually freeze dried chicken on the surface of your uh, chicken breast. Wow, I actually fed my daughter freeze-dried beef burgers earlier this week. Huh. Yeah, good for you. Wow, I was doing science at tea time. I never knew it. Thank you, Steve. You know when you know when there's like a best before date on frozen produce? That's not because it's going to go off and make you sick. Like bacteria and other pathogens aren't going to grow in the freezer. It's just that it becomes unpleasant after a while because of all the freeze-drying that happens. <laughs> I would say on behalf of the um, the hipster, fancy coffee drinkers of the world. Um, Are you in that group? <laughs> I, I am. I'm on the fridge, but I'm definitely okay. in. In fact, I, while we're recording, I'm drinking coffee that I w used my hand grinder to uh, grind up freshly <sighs> roasted beans, single source, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> However, even though uh, 
your hipster coffee drinkers would never go near freeze-dried coffee. If you told them it was hand-carried up a mountain <laughs> and left to freeze-dry like by some traditional tribe, that is the only way you'll sell freeze-dried instant coffee to hipsters. Do you know, I'm quite disappointed because I was listening to your Rings episode uh, earlier and you all sounded like you were eating donuts or bagels or something very enjoyable. And I, bagels, was, yeah. I was hoping that for ice, we might at least have some ice cream <laughs> delivered in time for our podcast. Oh, yeah. um, or, or some cocktails, or maybe. Coffee, but perhaps I, I didn't want that. <laughs> hey, you're just going to have to wait for my section. Ooh, ooh, mm. Am I going to get a, a knock on the door and get some ice cream turn up? I know you're going to watch me eating an <laughs> ice cream on Microsoft Teams. <laughs> Torture. <laughs> Other video conference software is available. <laughs> so, Steve, one of our episodes of the podcast wasn't so detailed, talks about decaf coffee, which, as Matt um, will strongly argue, makes coffee so much worse. Uh, so if, idea. Yeah, and, and we go into how decaffeination works and uh, all the different ways that it does make coffee much worse. Uh, so if you took decaf coffee and then spray-dried it instead of free-dried it, would that make it the worst coffee in the universe? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I think that is the worst coffee. Yeah. Wow. Wow. I have to try that. We've reached a new low. <laughs> <laughs> but if we know it makes it taste so bad, why do we do it? Is there not another method of preservation that we could be doing to make good coffee instant? Yeah, if only coffee already came in a small <laughs> bean-shaped form <laughs> that's convenient to store, transport, and then turn into a beverage. Wouldn't that be something? <laughs> Yes, very instant. <laughs> okay, th this it does take me a good 20 minutes, but... Here's, a, here's an interesting fact as well, that um, instant coffee only really took off in countries that didn't already have a strong coffee drinking tradition. So freeze-dried coffee or instant coffee is not really a thing in America. It is in the UK because we never really had a strong coffee drinking tradition. We had a tea drinking tradition. So, you know, our coffee is bad, but America's tea is bad. And I would actually argue that America's tea is more bad than our coffee is bad. Mm. <laughs> wow. So, uh, so I think we win. We do get a lot of people um, writing in to us at the podcast, and now you will enjoy this too, Amy, um, who tell us that we um, haven't put enough detail in. But I feel like what Steve has just mentioned is the kind of detail that is going to cause a lot more um, letters in your mailbag than normal. Yeah, maybe, <laughs> and I'm going to forward them all on to you, Steve, to answer. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Um, moving from coffee over to um, snowflakes, have I got that right? Snowflakes, correct. So we're not talking about uh, liberals or millennials and the um, insults that we get online. What are we talking about, Matt? Yeah, it's a shame that the word snowflake has now um, come with more baggage than it used to. So, so I've been running a campaign for many, many years against inaccurate snowflakes and we're recording this as we are coming out of summer straight into autumn and winter is not far away and people get upset when they see the first christmas decorations going up i get upset when i see the first snow fake going up which is some kind of decorative snowflake which doesn't have six points because 
or snowflakes have six-fold symmetry. They're, they're hexagonal or they've got pointy bits, but they're always six-fold. Whereas if you go out in the world and you look at shop fronts or uh, BBC Two got this wrong a couple of years ago with their Christmas decorations, uh, magazines, I don't think Focus Magazine has ever fallen afoul of this. I can't um, imagine we would do. In my experience, exactly. <laughs> um, but you'll see eight-pointed snowflakes everywhere and just you you cannot have an eight-pointed snowflake so i started the hashtag snowfake other options are available i'm not the first person to campaign about this uh faux flake is available for those of you who prefer that because from a mass point of view six-fold symmetry is really nice very neat and not that hard to fold from a piece of paper hang on a second so uh so six-fold symmetry is when if you turn the thing through a sixth of a turn, it's like it looks how it was before you turned it sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. So we yeah. define something as being symmetric in mathematics if you can do something to it and it looks the same. Okay. So you, you turn it one sixth of a, you know, a, a full circle. Uh, so pi on three and it'll look exactly the same. And Or you can turn it over. And six different ways, and it will look. So, the same. If, like, if I turned a square through a quarter of a turn, it would look the way it was before. Exactly. For example. Okay. And I, I, I only ever thought about this from a mathematical point of view. Several years ago, we were doing one of our live nerd comedy shows, and the science writer Philip Ball was on the bill, and they were talking about the chemistry background to this. And I'd never really thought that much about the chemistry side. Typical. Apart from, I know, <laughs> apart from occasionally when I'm tweeting about inaccurate snowflakes, someone will be like, oh, but what about? And then name some obscure form of crystal structure that ice can take on in some weird context. And a tweet is never big enough for me to reply well, first of all, I don't know enough chemistry. But secondly, it's not big enough for me to reply with all the details for why that is ridiculous and why I'm not counting that. But in an attempt to kind of respond to that, to kind of, you know, crystallize my thoughts, I did look into why water <laughs> forms. Sorry, I just got that. <laughs> is it the lag on? Thank you. you hey, I, that's, got... not, that's not a lag on the uh, virtual meeting. It's a lag in Helen's brain. <laughs> It is. There's a I, lag on the quality of my joke structure. <laughs> if you do hear any squeaks, uh, it's not me. It might be me, uh, but it's probably it the be. baby. <laughs> also in Helen's uh, defense, my joke structure has a lot of inclusions, so it's fine. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> no. Uh, good times. Uh, so everyone says, look, water, when it freezes gives you a hexagonal structure because of the shape of a water molecule, which people can picture from like classic science diagrams or what they might remember from school. It looks like a little boomerang. It's a little kind of little angled uh, top half of a triangle, let's say. And that's because, we, we would say mathematically, it's the tetrahedral angle because the oxygen in the middle has four kind of pairs of electrons, two of which have a hydrogen along from the right and the other two are just electrons on their own. And we can't see the other two. We only see the two with hydrogens. And by C, I'm talking about like in diagrams or the structure, the molecule. 
And so it forms the angles you would in the center of a tetrahedron because it's four equally spaced points. Because the hydrogen behaves a bit differently to just the electrons by themselves in terms of how far away they are from the nucleus, it's actually slightly distorted. But the angle between the two hydrogens it's not the tetrahedral 109 and a half degrees, it's this water 104 and a half degrees. And everyone says, okay, well, you get a bunch of those and they form a hexagon. But the internal angle of a hexagon is 120 degrees, whereas the internal angle of a pentagon is 108 degrees, which is much, much closer. And so actually, water, if it's free to crystallize however it fancies, will form pentagonal rings, because that is much, much closer to the angle in a water molecule. What? So why does it happen then? What? what? I know. And everyone's like, well, water always forms hexagons. And I'm like, no, it doesn't. What? If it's, in, if it's if just forming rings in a liquid, there'll be pentagons. And I was like, that's amazing. That's crazy. Um, it's only because of the way it then stacks into a lattice and if you want to have something repeating and nice and neat, then it gets forced into a hexagonal structure. And so the hexagonal shape you see in a snowflake is not strictly because of the shape of the water molecule, like we're always told. It's because of the arrangement of lots of water molecules when they get packed into a regular lattice. And I thought, oh, that's, that's incredible. But that arrangement changes depending on the pressure and the temperatures. Like Steve was saying, if you cool ice down and you change the pressure, weird things starts to happen to it. And uh, several steps later, instant coffee. What I was interested <laughs> in is what other types of ice would give you different shaped snowflakes. And a lot of people would mention ice structure number seven. And Chemists have named the different possible ice structures. They're up to something like 18, I think. It's ridiculous. And they're all at different pressures. And so ice structure seven, yes, you can get a cubic kind of square based. I need to be very careful because not face-centered cubic. That gets you back to hexagons, unbelievably. But you can get this much more cubic structure. However, it requires pressures of about three gigapascals, um, which is like... 30,000 times atmospheric pressure. So if we ever have a winter with <laughs> a really high pressure system... Oh, and actually, conveniently, humans, we can survive up to about 100. So there you wow. go. We'll be dead. If there was any <laughs> year that I thought that might be likely, I mean, 2020, the way it's going, could be the year. Exactly. I feel, little, I feel like I'm jinxing it. And I'm like, well... If we have a winter with temperatures <laughs> below negative 150 degrees Celsius, we might see some square <laughs> ice flakes. And everyone's like, well, this was the jerk who made it happen. <laughs> but yeah. then there would be no one to tweet on the hashtag snowfake. So would it really happen? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, so it's not going to happen. So all these weird structures everyone throws at me, unless you're on, well, unless you're at the bottom of the ocean on one of Jupiter's moons or you're deep in the Earth's crust where diamonds are forming. Like, we don't <laughs> naturally get these weird eye structures where you'd get snow forming. And so that's why I, I campaign against uh, snowfakes. <laughs> Please join in if you see them. Tweet snow uh, with a hashtag snowfake. I always look forward to the first one of the season. It, what's interesting is 
Because it's so much easier to fold paper with powers of two. So you get mm. a lot of square, two, to the, two squared, four. You get like a fourfold symmetry snowflakes that kids make and you get eight because it's easier. It's actually mm. super easy to fold sixfold symmetry. Like to get that triangle in a bit of paper, not that difficult. I've got a, a YouTube video that goes into it. It's pretty straightforward. However, because kids always make eightfold ones and because parents will often make typos, you will see a bunch of parents accidentally using the hashtag snowfake, <laughs> intending to compliment <laughs> what their kids are doing. And it just comes off really passive aggressive. Oh, look at this amazing thing my kid made. Hashtag snowfake. So those, those accidental snowfake tweets are my favorite, but my second favorite is everyone documenting the ones out there. So name and shame people who get snowflakes wrong. <laughs> Especially the kids, those idiots. <laughs> no. How are they going to learn? They're not going to learn. <laughs> so if chemists have named the different uh, types of ice, which ice do I have coming from my freezer? What's the name of it? Oh, yeah. So they've, well, they've numbered the different types of ice, right. which I think is a superior form of naming. So I'm on board with that. Uh, so you'll have <laughs> ice one. Ah. Almost all ice you come across is ice one, which is the classic kind of hexagonal arrangement. If there's another flavor of ice one, which probably tastes exactly the same now that I say that, <laughs> uh, which is under certain uh, pressures and uh, or temperatures, because with you get these things called phase diagrams, which will show you which combination of pressure and temperature will give you different types of ice. You can get the other one. So our classic ice is ice one uh, C, uh, but, sorry one H. But if you're not careful, it can turn into ice one C. But that will atmospheric normal conditions will not give you ice one C except at very very high altitudes. And so only in ex extreme situations, it won't survive to the ground. Any ice you see, and you're not dead is ice one eight <laughs> and you're not a chemist in an ice lab if, if you've got um if you've got two snowflakes in front of you one is uh one h and the other is one c can you tell the difference just by looking i don't know well one c you you probably won't get hexagonal symmetry i'm now really nervous they pronounce it i c and i h because they use roman characters uh. chemists uh write in to bbc focus with any complaints about <laughs> and i'll forward them um, to matt so my 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 mathematical guess is yes but if i've learned anything about chemistry it's a mess so there's probably a bunch of other real world complications which always ruin the wonderful mathematics so i'm gonna have to go with i don't know <laughs> so if that's six-fold symmetry, what else has got six-fold symmetry that I can see? Oh, so six-fold symmetry is great in a lot of things where you want to pack things together well. So that's why a bees, their honeycomb is a hexagonal cross-section. There's actually something called the honeycomb conjecture that hexagons are the best possible shape 
if you want to pack them together really well, but minimize the amount of edges you need for the space inside. But that wasn't proven to definitely be the best mathematical arrangement until 1999. Mm. So it was only a couple of decades ago. And humans, we've been working on it for centuries. It's only cracked very recently. So actually all these things involving arranging things in a nice, compact, uh, potentially regular way We've been considering it for a long time. So actually, the, the whole snowflake thing, why it's a hexagon, goes back to Kepler, in uh, who wrote a, a thing about why snowflakes are hexagons in 1611. But only very recently have we kind of got a proper understanding of why it forms in that particular arrangement. So it's been a question for humans for a long time, but only recently have we started to crack the maths and, and the chemistry behind it. Matt, is this only because bees haven't been able to write scientific papers <laughs> i maintain the honeycomb conjecture is the record that the earth record for longest time between discovery and proof yeah. of the mathematical result because bees cracked it what millions of years ago how yeah. old are bees i don't know that's biology <laughs> <laughs> i'm even worse at that than i am at chemistry but then it took millions of years before a different organism proved that bees had it right all along <laughs> Uh, the Star of David, just another example of something with sixfold symmetry. Thanks for joining in, Steve. All right. <laughs> Good to be here. Matt, can I ask, is there any way that an eightfold snowflake could possibly exist in nature? So the reason I'm asking is because, so when we were on lockdown and I was on maternity leave, I, I bought a lot of fabric and you are very lucky that the topic of this show is not uh, but one of them, because I was, it was because it was three a.m. and I have no idea what I was doing, and I genuinely ordered some fabric off eBay in my sleep because I didn't realise I'd pressed buy. Uh, There's <laughs> a great sleep, a great butt purchase. Yeah. This, this is true. Congratulations to any uh, new parents who have also managed to buy things off the internet without realising. Um, <laughs> Okay, and it arrived, and I thought it was snowflake fabric, and it has eight points. And I now uh, cannot use it unless you can tell me that there is some kind of eight-pointed ice formation out there. Well, you got two options. So you could argue in some extreme pressures and temperatures you would get eight, because even with our regular six, you sometimes, even with our regular six, you sometimes get 12, because two snowflakes... Uh, love each other very much and sometimes <laughs> you can get uh, three and that's just if things malform when, when the snowflake is originally crystallizing so to get eight i suspect what you'd need is either you might get it organically if there's something which crystallizes with a very regular cubic kind of square based structure that might give you four uh, potentially eight, or if you only get four, one flake at a time, two of them could uh, merge and that would give you eight. But that's they're pretty extreme situations. The normal way to talk out of it is to say it's not a piece of fabric with snowflakes on it. They're actually stars. And when you get that kind of um, whatever, the, the starring effect from a point source coming through the atmosphere, like, like a flare thing that makes it look pointy, I'm prepared to accept you get eight pointed traditional stars. So I don't know if you can you can do it do a switch to say it's star fabric. I don't think my daughter's going to buy an Elsa costume with stars on, but I'm going to try it. Yeah. No. <laughs> or you could just embroider the hashtag snowflake somewhere. Uh, <laughs> that would fix it. 
That's a great idea. Sorted. <laughs> Solved the problem. Christmas is Daffod- saved. <laughs> Daffodils. Do they also have six-fold symmetry, Steve? They do. Well done. I thought my brain was working slowly and Steve is like, hmm. Hmm, random thing. (laughs) So bees aren't the only animal we're going to be talking about today. Uh, Have I got that right, Helen? Ah, yes. Um, So my take on ice comes from the song that I have put at the end of this podcast. So in a podcast, Vanessa Sodita, we often finish with one of my scientifically accurate songs. And this song that I'm kind of donating to the Science Focus podcast is one about an obsession I had a while ago with um, cryonic freezing. And this is I guess you couldn't call it a science topic particularly because it's more of a philosophical topic. And the reason I wrote this song about cryonic freezing uh, is because I met a a professor at Oxford Literary Festival when we were doing a show together. He was a professor of philosophy though, right? And he had a tag around his neck saying the usual thing if you're a, a cryonic sign up. It says, you know, if I am dead, please call this number. And they come and they freeze his body. And I'm like, this is amazing that I finally met someone who has taken the philosophical bet on whether science is going to be completely different in the future and will be able to revive a a body filled with antifreeze. So I've got this song about chronic freezing and you're going to hear it at the end and you'll find out all about that. But there's loads of details that never made it into the song. And that is all of the creatures and living things that already contain antifreeze. Oh. Oh. So you can freeze other creatures. Yeah. So in this, this song was about cryonic freezing where, you know, your body gets filled with antifreeze and they get stored for a future time that at some point someone might be able to revive you. Like, And if you're a philosopher and you ignore all the science, that's quite a good bet, right? You pay some money every month into your kind of, you know, insurance policy that in the future you'll be revived. Uh, to a philosopher, this seems like a pretty good bet, right? Um, but on the other hand, there are already animals and creatures and plants that have antifreeze inside them, which is what helps them survive in cold temperatures. And I've got I've got three that I wanted to talk about, and they're ones that I couldn't manage to get into the song somehow. <laughs> uh, and I found out all about them at the time, and and I've always wanted to be able to talk about them. Um, the first one is um, grass, right? There are types of grass that are frost resistant because you can't move grass in the winter, and if it goes below freezing temperature then um, it needs to survive, right? Uh, I found a, I've only found this out because I was reading about some scientists who were trying to extract the antifreeze from inside the wheatgrass. And they, uh, they basically spent the day mowing the lawn outside their research facility <laughs> <laughs> in order to harvest enough of this uh, stuff. And it, it's, um, it's an antifreeze protein that's produced by the grass that inhibits the crystal growth. So... Um, the thing that causes the damage inside animal or plant cells is that when the water freezes into ice, it expands. And it's it's one of the only uh, compounds that actually does that. Is that right, Steve? It's, it's not very common. I don't know if it's the only one. Um, it's the only one I know of. It's certainly very, very rare anyway. 
And this is why your raspberries, when you freeze dry them, right, the the water in the cells expands into ice. But then when your freeze-dried raspberries get uh, freeze-dried, the structure is still there. But as soon as you add water again, they they just turn into mush, don't they? Mm. Yeah, because um, the ice has broken down the cell uh, and it can't survive that process. Um, but wheatgrass is able to produce antifreeze so that it, it doesn't die on a cold day. So that's number one. It might be outside your house or your office, if you're in an office, seems unlikely. Uh, but there's another one, <laughs> Canadian tree frogs. Now, when I found out about these, this is amazing. When Canadian tree frogs in the winter reach temperatures of minus 10 or minus 15 degrees out in the wild, um, their skin freezes. If you drop a Canadian no. wood frog in the winter, it clunks. <laughs> it doesn't bounce, it clunks. Um, because it has an antifreeze that it produces inside its bloodstream. So um, the antifreeze proteins cause the blood to freeze. This is different from the grass stuff where the antifreeze proteins there, they, they stop the ice crystals forming, right? This is different. It actually encourages the blood to freeze. So it actually sucks the water out of the cells. And then the frog's liver produces all of this sugar and glucose, which then packs into the cells. So the result is a frog where the blood is frozen, but the cells are full of sugar and dehydrated. And that's how it survives. Ah. So you can freeze, like this frog can be freeze-dried. <laughs> <laughs> Don't freeze-dry frogs. When it thaws out, it's alive. And if I know, well, if it's anything like coffee, it's also going to taste terrible. <laughs> <laughs> but it would taste better than if it was spray dried. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Good point. But, good point. Yeah. That's how it survives. It, it kind of uses its blood to, um, to, to make sure that the blood gets frozen and that sucks the water out of the cells. So the cells don't burst because they're not full of ice. They're full of sugar rather than water ice mm. so they have this weird system and it's kind of the opposite of the way that uh, wheatgrass does it because that stops the cells forming at all the frog kind of redirects where the frozen ice happens in its body so it manages to survive i want to Great. take back my previous statement because if the cells are now full of sugars it might taste <laughs> better so <laughs> it could taste delicious. That is not uh, to encourage anyone to try that. Um, if anyone it'll... knows what a Canadian frozen tree frog tastes like, please write in to BBC Science. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get so many emails. Uh, so there's a third one, which is probably the one that people have heard about before, which is um, the Antarctic fish. So in 1969, uh, Arthur de Vries found when he was researching Arctic fish, that they produce antifreeze in their bodies that can help them survive up to minus two degrees Celsius. So these are, I've had a go at pronouncing this word and people can tell me if I've got this right, um, notothenioides. Does what? anyone want to try that? Yeah, notothenioides. They're a type of Antarctic fish, like the, um, I think the poutfish is one of them. And they produce antifreeze glycoproteins uh, which stop them freezing in the sub-zero Antarctic waters. And the reason you might have heard about this is because that antifreeze glycoprotein was extracted and reproduced and used in ice cream. What? Yeah. 
I told oh, you ice cream was going to happen at some point. <laughs> Not in the way you think, right? I've had a look. I actually went around Tesco this morning and I looked at every single packet of ice cream and none of them have the um, ice structure, ice structuring protein that is the, the name for this thing, right? So it's fish antifreeze. And the, the way they get enough of it to put into ice cream is not uh, by like milking a fish. <laughs> <laughs> they don't just like squeeze a fish until enough comes out. They've found the part of their genetic code that creates the antifreeze. And they've done the same thing that they do with insulin and food flavorings and stuff. They've inserted it into yeast. And then the yeast has gone and multiplied loads and loads and loads and also produce this antifreeze. And then they go ahead and harvest the antifreeze from the genetically modified yeast. It's in ice cream in, uh, at various points in time, it has been in ice cream in the USA and I think Australia and Brazil and places like that. You can't find it in European ice cream. And huh. I don't know why. I've checked. Regulations, <laughs> probably. <laughs> why would no, I do you remember want... in Australia, fish ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> why would you want antifreeze in ice cream how how does it help it seems completely counterintuitive but it, it is the thing that the wheatgrass antifreeze does which is it makes smaller ice crystals and the thing with ice cream is it's a combination of like milk proteins and fats and all of that stuff is a nice structure and inside that you get ice crystals and air pockets and those ice crystals and air pockets, it's that combination of those and the size and the structure that makes ice cream taste good. And weirdly, smaller ice crystals means better tasting ice cream. Ice cream starts to degrade as soon as it leaves the factory. So as it comes out of the factory, it's this lovely combination of tiny ice crystals, tiny air pockets, and all of that lovely fatty sugary stuff around it. But as it goes through time it, the air pockets start to bleed together and the ice crystals get bigger quite a lot like steve and his freezer burn thing right the ice crystals get bigger as you leave stuff in the freezer for too long mm. um, and that means that the ice cream that uses this antifreeze in it never gets those big ice crystals the ice crystals in the first place are much smaller which means it tastes much more creamy Mm. Uh, you know what goes well with uh, fish ice cream? <laughs> no. Chips ice Frozen cream? sugar frogs. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. That's so, disgusting. God. So this ice Ooh. structuring protein will encourage different shaped ice structures as well as different sizes of ice structure, depending on which one you use, of these different ice structuring proteins. And they... Yep can be used to do exactly what you were talking about with your different types of ice structure. So, no. yeah, this is what can make snowflakes real. <laughs> so <laughs> I, That's amazing. I looked up, I couldn't find one that made eight points, but you can oh. force the ice to form in diamond shapes, in like long needle shapes, in spheres. And there's just, just, there's just loads of them out there. And I started looking into what other applications there are. And when I first researched all of this stuff, to write the song about chronics. There were loads of future applications that could possibly be part of the future of antifreeze glycoproteins. And I've got to say that a few years on, I looked again and almost none of them have happened. 
it's really <laughs> sad. It's truly sad. So there is one product that has been marked. There is one product that has been created and marketed successfully. I looked at their website this morning. It is called Snowmax, right? And the opposite of pretty much all the other applications, it doesn't inhibit freezing. It actually helps freezing. Snowmax is a product that makes better quality fake snow. Ooh. Yeah. You add it okay, to your... Okay, I'm interested. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not the antifreeze protein that is used in ice cream or wheatgrass, anything like that. It comes from a bacteria called Pseudomonas syringae. Someone can correct my pronunciation on that one. <laughs> and it is a snow inducer. So rather than stopping ice crystal formings, it actually helps ice crystal forms. Like the like the proteins in the tree frog blood, it actually mm. nucleates snow. It nucleates ice. So it actually makes snow happen. And it makes better snow. It freezes faster at a higher temperature and it lasts longer, which means your fake snow machine will use less energy and you'll get better snow. So this is a product that genuinely has been taken from nature and turned into something that is affecting all our lives <laughs> if we are people who visit um, alpine resorts where they add fake snow. I don't know. This could be the future. <laughs> it almost <laughs> certainly will be the future if you count climate change. Yes. Is this the bacteria that uh, spends some of its life in clouds? Yes, it is the same bacteria as that cloud stuff, but this is how it works. It's the proteins that that bacteria creates that are the nucleation of the snow. So you can right. now get them in a, in a bag <laughs> cool. at vast expense and um, help you make snow. Wow. Um, but do I have to be careful of, you know, going somewhere that has fake snow that I don't get any on my tongue like you see in those adverts of people running around with their mouth open to catch it? <laughs> um, by the time it gets into the um, snow making additive packet, it, it's it's not active anymore. It, really? It's it's I don't know. Maybe they freeze dry it, Steve. I've no <laughs> I've no idea what they do to it. But it Their definitely claims they freeze dry it. Does oh. it really? Yeah. <laughs> there you go. So uh, it <laughs> it also tastes as good as a tree frog at the same time. <laughs> so there's one final thing I wanted to mention, which is that there is still potentially one use for these antifreeze proteins that one of those applications is organ preservation. So with a donated organ, you have to get it to the recipient within a few hours and keep it around zero degrees centigrade. Otherwise, it, it starts to break down. But there's a possibility that these antifreeze proteins could be used to not only extend the life of um, preserve, extend the life of donator organs but also could be used for storing tissue because at the moment if you're storing like frozen tissue for a few future use not not like a an, a whole organ but just some tissue you need to use like ethylene glycol which is a kind of antifreeze glycerol you need to stuff it full of stuff that isn't brilliant and is quite toxic and Potentially, antifreeze proteins could be used because they're less toxic. They have lower concentrations to get the same effect and stuff like that. So potentially, can you see where I'm coming back to now? Cryonic freezing may be possible. 
Wow. Which <laughs> we got that, guys. I mean, yeah. So this is where, if in the future, at some point, if you choose current, if you choose cryonic freezing as your future, I don't necessarily recommend it. You may be stuffed with fish proteins <laughs> instead of antifreeze. It's a possibility. And that's something I didn't know about when I wrote this song. So uh, enjoy the song as a time capsule of where cryonic freezing was a few years ago. both cryogenically frozen so it's you and me and Walt Disney and we're dancing and singing in the 25th century we're living the future held together by sutures ice cubes forming in our brains industrial antifreeze running through our veins so I've looked into this quite carefully it turns out there's a lot of contradiction Disney on ice isn't literal and that episode of Doctor Who was fiction So it's you and me but no Walt Disney Just some baseball players and 70s hippies Don't shake their hands cause you've got more than you planned And please stop flirting with your great 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 granddaughter's friend Just want to please you Just want to The truth is that I never liked your body much So I have only paid to get your head done Don't ever see It's just a freeze So it's you and me in the 35th century I'll keep your brain in a mechanical jar on wheels First cryonic, then bionic We will be together though Our skin will be like leather But at least we'll be together again Some cut price cowboys in Russia Who didn't build a door for your freezer You are so lovely But your brain is slush So it's just me At minus 200 degrees I'm waiting for the 35th century I have no regrets Except not wearing a vest Maybe I should just have bought you that discount home cremation kit instead That was Matt Parker, Steve Mould and Helen Arney revealing their favourite unnecessary details about ice. 
For more from the Three Spoken Nerds, search for A Podcast of Unnecessary Detail wherever you get your podcasts or head to festivalofthespokennerd.com forward slash podcast. The song was You and Me and Walt Disney, produced by Helen Arney and Ollie the Octopus, and you can download it for free along with all the songs from Unnecessary Detail podcasts at helenarney.bandcamp.com. In the latest issue of BBC Science Focus magazine, we discover how to keep our minds healthy in a world of uncertainty. Michael Mosley writes on when doctors have to unleash their inner Sherlock Holmes, and we meet the brainless organisms that can think, solve problems, and reveal the secrets of the universe. Of course, there are loads more science stories inside, and available on sciencefocus.com. If you like what you've just listened to, then please leave us a rating or review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thank you for listening to the Science Focus podcast from the BBC Science Focus magazine team. We're the UK's best-selling science and technology monthly, available in print and in several digital formats throughout the world. Find out more at sciencefocus.com or look out for us in your app store.